This episode of the Third Sector Podcast is sponsored by Ansvar. Ansvar protects more than 17,000 charities, big and small, across the UK. Their work with key organisations and charity bodies, as well as being owned by a charity themselves, means an unparalleled level of expertise across a wide range of topics, from governance to fundraising. Ask your insurance broker today for a quote for your charity. Hello and welcome to the Third Sector Podcast. I'm Emily Burt. And I'm Lucinda Rouse. Each week we bring you half an hour of discussion and debate about the important goings-on in the charity world. This week we'll be asking how charities can strengthen their organisational resilience during tough times. And later, in Charity Changed My Life, we'll be hearing from a service user of the Willow Foundation, which provides support to young adults with serious illnesses. But we're going to jump straight into this week's main feature. Sadly, over the past six months, we've seen an increasing trend of charities having to close their doors, and that's almost purely due to financial difficulty. As one of our previous guests, Jane Ide, pointed out in our episode two weeks ago, These were well-run charities with a strong sense of purpose and impact, but the financial instability just got too much. So this week, we'd like to ask how charities can make themselves as strong as they possibly can to avoid this unfortunate eventuality. And we're joined by two guests to help give us some answers. First up is Ashling Cashmore, Head of Impact and Advisory at the Charities Aid Foundation, or CAF, which ran a resilience fund programme supporting charities to adapt and thrive from 2020 to 2023. Hi, Ashling. Hi. Hello. Very nice to be here. And also joining us today is Mandy Rollins, the Chief Executive of the Stoke-on-Trent-based charity Disability Solutions West Midlands. The charity received support from CAF's Resilience Fund to strengthen its leadership, operations and network and partnership development. So hi Mandy, it's great to have you with us too. Thank you, thanks for having me. So Resilience, let's talk a little bit about that if we can, before we sort of get into the nitty gritty of of how the grant has worked and and maybe hear something from Mandy about how it worked for her charity. But what would you say, Ashling, are the six characteristics then of a resilient charity? Because you included six key pillars in your resilience framework. Could you speak to those a little bit for us? As part of research and and an earlier pilot that we'd actually done, which was called the CAF Resilience Programme, we noticed that there were six characteristics that really show a charity has the potential to be resilient. So we created a, a framework to, to really give a sort of vocabulary and a framework for charities to work towards. And what we did with each charity was we supported them through individual or group workshops to really develop a resilience roadmap, which effectively is a plan for what they needed to do, taking into account those six characteristics. So just to run through those six characteristics, the first one very much is that purpose. So ensuring that that charity has a clearly articulated, understood purpose. And sometimes that really is about actually understanding what that purpose is and what it isn't. The the second is awareness. So it's really thinking about the awareness of that external environment in which they operate. So the economic, political, local and national context. The third is effective leadership. And that's from both board and senior staff. So ensuring that they take the time to focus on the bigger picture rather than just the day-to-day operations of their organisation. The fourth is is networks and partnerships. So that that really support that charity's mission and and purpose. So ensuring that they're well-networked, that they're able to get support from and and really work in partnerships with, with others. 
The fifth is finance and operations. So ensuring that they're fit for purpose financially and operationally, and particularly thinking about income from a diverse range of sources. And the sixth characteristic is impact. So it's that ability to capture and communicate on their impact and and really show the the need that they're meeting through the impact that they're having. Thank you. And Mandy at Disability Solutions West Midlands, you focused on a few of those areas. And I understand that one of them was on leadership and how you can strengthen the charity leadership to improve your resilience. Could you tell me a bit about what you did in that respect? Yeah, I'd be delighted. Thanks ever so much for having me today. From the support that we had from CAF was very much around helping us to strengthen our ability as a leadership team to be able to bounce back with having to deal with cost of living pressures that were creeping in, obviously the tail end of the pandemic. So we'd had all of that stuff, which was something that was completely unexpected and, and took us all by storm. All of that happened within a landscape of austerity. So it felt very much, I think, for a lot of charities that we were almost like ships at sea in a storm. It was one beating after another after another. And I think it was it was so important at that time for organisations to be mindful of their resilience and sustainability. I mean, I've been in the voluntary sector now for three decades and I must admit I've never experienced such turbulence as we have over the past sort of couple of years. So certainly from my organisation's experience, what had happened was we'd tried to keep going and we tried to make sure that we kept the doors open. We worked all the way through the pandemic. You know, that was very important to us. Um, Those things were very important to us. But I think in doing that, because we were so busy with that day-to-day fight, we often didn't get time to lift our head up from the hamster wheel and actually look at what the potential long-term impacts of all of these things were on us as people, us as a team, especially us as a leadership team, and also us as as a complete organisation, as a living charity. We've always said as a charity we need to run with the head of a business and the heart of a charity and that's great but actually keeping that together at times of great challenge is really really difficult and I think what had happened for our organisation was that us as staff had had carried on and and we'd, we'd carried on and carried on there was almost a bit of a disconnect that had happened I think between the staffing team and the board of trustees and I think it then became quite difficult I think for people to stay in their lanes and that's not a criticism it's just an observation so we had perhaps those that should be focused on the strategic aspects were perhaps focusing more on operational matters so those of us who should be focusing on operational matters then had almost our attention separated between strategic and operational so I think it became slightly confused. I think it was sending mixed messages to staff and volunteers. And it wasn't something that we had the capacity, the skills and the insight to be able to tackle on our own. We needed that support, protected time to be able to step back, 
discover, explore, regroup, realign, and really help us to support the trustees to fulfil their role as trustees and also to enable us to, as a management team, to be able to focus and, and, and I guess sounds ridiculous, find our mojo again. The offer of CAF was so unique and I, I can't I can't place enough emphasis on this, to be honest, because again, I say three decades in the voluntary sector, I've never, ever seen an offer like this where you don't just get the support and the time and the funding you get it all coming together at one time because often in the voluntary sector we're applying for funding then we've got to find the people to help us realize what we need to do and all of these things came together and that was just so perfect and certainly being able to not just tap into funding but being able to tap into pre-vetted external consultants who actually did do what it said on the tin so it really just needed us as a team to come to the table to set the roadmap with CAF actually then stick to that roadmap which from my point of view as CEO was fantastic because it gave me leverage to bring people to the table really whether they wanted to or not that sounds awful but that made my job so much easier which meant that I could engage as a team member rather than feeling like I'd got to drag everybody through a process and that was really really empowering really useful. Mandy I think Everything that you've just said there is such a familiar story for organisations across all sizes and all income ranges in the sector at the moment, but particularly for those smaller and medium-sized charities. I know for my part, I hear every day from organisations who have been just working to their absolute limits for the last three years, and again, against that background of austerity. And I think for that small charity story particularly, you are always fighting fire on every front. And and when you're a small organisation, it makes total sense that sometimes you are the chief executive and also the head of fundraising. And you have to work across those roles. And it is so rare for charities to be afforded that space to reflect, to take time for themselves and to carve out time to make sure that they are actually all supported. Now, I know that you put a lot of investment as part of this process into your staff team as well to kind of focus on that well-being piece to reduce that risk of burnout and I know for a fact that this plays on the minds of a lot of chief executives these days could you just tell us a little bit what have the benefits been of that investment what has kind of come out of being given that space and that time to go through this process certainly as we've seen the pandemic wasn't the only issue that we faced and um, we've had cost of living pressures as well so I think that from what I've seen The investment that we were able to make in each individual staff member and then as an organisation as a whole, certainly with the Workforce Welfare Days, that didn't just help us to address some of the issues that we were facing at the time, but that really has helped us to strengthen and find greater resilience for some of the issues that we faced after that point. So... Being able to step away from the day-to-day, carving out that protected time and it not being so heavily work-focused, it actually being, yes, focused on work, yes, focused on us as a team, looking at what we do when we work with the charity, but also looking at 
who we are as people and how we can connect and how we tessellate as people and how we can really maximise all the things that we bring to the table as charity workers. We know that a high proportion of people that work in the charitable sector are very passionate people, they're very driven people. And we come with a a massive skills bucket that often our jobs maybe might only use part of those skills. And I think as an organisation, it was really useful to be able to actually, for us to look at each other as individuals, as team members, as part of the organisation, to see how we could acknowledge each other's skills, each other's attributes, each other's needs and wants but also to look at how we could maximise those as well to strengthen us as a team, to see where perhaps we might be missing a trick. It was almost like a bit of a an informal skills audit as well that, that seemed to happen. And people were able to, I think, strengthen the bonds between each other. And that then will inevitably help within the work environment. So it's so multifaceted. As I say, I've, I've really never come across anything quite like this package and again I think one of the biggest things from CAF was yes of course they were very work focused and we had to remain work focused there was a very strict timeline and we had to be moving forward and that's absolutely right and proper but CAF were also very clear that they valued us as people, as human beings, and that that needed to be considered and celebrated and nurtured as well. And as I say, and often you don't find that from funders and supporters because it will either be something that's very pink and fluffy or it'll be something that's very hard-nosed, work-focused. And actually having that really nice blend, to be honest, it kind of took me back to what I often refer to as the golden years within the charitable sector, the years before the uh, proverbial kind of hit the fan, I think, and the charitable sector almost became slightly privatised, unfortunately. So yes, that was an absolutely fantastic thing. And I must admit, there's been an enormous strengthening of relationships and people's ability to be authentic within the workplace. And I think that's often something as well that takes quite a hit. There are many of us who desperately want to be authentic within the workplace and be ourselves and bring ourselves in in our fullest form to work, but often feel that for many reasons we're unable to do that. And I really do think that all of the team have really benefited from that. Thank you so much, Mandy, for that very vivid depiction of just how well the support was received and and what a positive impact it's had on your charity. Ashing, I wonder if we could move on to another of the pillars that was covered in the resilience framework and specifically financial and operational fitness. What did you focus on and what did you identify as the sort of most important things that needed to be focused on to improve such an important aspect of how a charity works? Well, I think what was really key about this programme is that it was actually very bespoke to what the, the specific charity partners' needs were. So I think what we did was really help them think about what their priorities and what their needs are. So I can talk a little bit about what specific charities were looking at when they were talking about financial and operational fitness and, you know, what the key kind of areas that they focused on. And and I think it definitely was when you look at the six characteristics, while we think that they are interconnected and and there is that sort of domino effect and 
working on one will sort of inform working on others. Financial and operational fitness was one of the top three that, that a lot of organizations focused on. And I don't think it would come any surprise, you know, given, like Mandy said, the cost of living crisis, given COVID, given all the sort of shocks and storms that a lot of these organizations are weathering, that fundraising is obviously was a key priority for many. So I think a lot of them are really trying to really think differently about fundraising strategies. So thinking about how to diversify their, their funding support really to support sustainability. So that might be thinking about developing or marketing commercial services in order to fund some of their work. A lot was advice on corporate fundraising and also sometimes even just understanding the costings of their existing services to price them appropriately. But then I think there was also an, another element of, of financial fitness around it. So, you know, that was thinking about, do we have enough of the necessary skills to actually streamline our, our financial processes? Do we know enough what's happening internally? So whether that's sort of reviewing accountancy software or putting in place processes for funding pipelines or, or trackers or improving their, their management accounts. So that was that was a kind of a key thing that often you a lot of charities just because of you know that perpetual starvation cycle that a lot of charities go through in, in terms of project funding, they don't have the time or the funds to be able to invest in a lot of this in terms of actually ensuring that they're they're much more fit for purpose going forward. Um, and in terms of, I suppose, that organizational fitness as well, I think, um, and, and Mandy alluded to this as well, you know, there was a lot of focus on staff, on how we can, you know, improve staff recruitment and, and the support that we give to staff and whether it's training and support as well, reviewing staffing structures, thinking about that skills mapping and understanding what skills we have internally. So I think a lot of, a lot of the focus was really how can we reshape systems policies and, and procedures within the organizations to make them more fit for, for the future and just briefly because there is so much to talk about there i also noted that one of the the final ones you, you spoke to was sort of capturing and communicating impact as well so making the the services more efficient investing in the staff why is capturing and communicating impact an important part of this puzzle as well I think, you know, and it's been an increasing focus and funders are looking more and more for organisations to be able to communicate on their impact. But it's also about having that compelling story to be able to tell, to set you apart. You know, it's a competitive funding environment. A lot of organisations are struggling to to raise that funding. So it being able to actually demonstrate and communicate the fact that you are really meeting a need and what the work that you're doing is really having the impact that you say it is I think can be a real advantage for a lot of organizations so a lot of them did focus on those sort of evaluation and monitoring frameworks in terms of actually being able to capture that and demonstrate the value of the work that you're doing but then a lot of them realized that they needed actual help in communicating that impact so they really support we're looking for external support around that social and digital media, trying to think about how can we get that message out there about the impact that we're having, um, because at the moment we're, we're not sort of exploiting that that real asset that we have, which is which is the impact that, that we're having. Thank you. And Mandy, you've given an excellent sales pitch for the support that you received from CAF and why this was such an important journey for your charity to be on. But it can't have been an easy process. Were there any particular areas that were especially challenging in terms of inducing change within the organisation and, and how did you get around them? The biggest challenge that we faced as an organisation was the disconnect that we had between our management team 
and the board of trustees. And whilst we could see as a management team that things had to change and I think we'd almost got to the point where as a management team we were starting to be viewed as a bit of a nagging Nora and so our voices perhaps weren't being heard as clearly as they could have been and again that's not a criticism it's an observation as I said to my trustees at the time you've asked me to help you to take care of this charity and nurture it and in doing so I need to be really honest about the challenges that we're facing. Now I know that I couldn't have had the difficult conversations that I had to have with not all of the trustees, there there were a few trustees that, that were I think just pulling in a different direction and I know that without CAF's help, without being able to engage with an external specialist consultant, we wouldn't have been able to have those conversations because it needed to be a trusted outside consultant that we had enough trust in to be able to be honest. Because it's very difficult being really brutally honest with an outsider because you run the risk of damaging your charity's reputation or upsetting the apple cart to the point where perhaps it can't be remedied. So it takes an enormous leap of faith to actually step into that space. And I have to say, the learning, the development, the strength, the resilience, the sustainability that we now enjoy every day in our work at every single trustee meeting, every exec board, every finance committee, you know, every single one of the subgroups, the relationships are better, the communication's clearer. We don't feel that we're having to second guess anymore and having to think through what we're going to say before we say it for fear of things becoming more difficult and challenging. It means as an organisation, us as individuals and us as a collective can put more energy into moving the charity forward rather than spending so much time in our own heads second guessing if I say that then what happened and I think I think a lot of other organizations struggled with that buying and engagement to start with I think that it is a it is a massive challenge convincing whether that's the board or whether that is staff that this is worth the time and investment and the effort because I think it is I mean Mandy you would know this much better than I would but it is really hard to to do this work it's not easy it's a real challenge it it takes time I think you don't see the results straight away but um, I think the idea of having a clear roadmap is it kind of breaks it down into small chunks so we don't get completely overwhelmed by the the task ahead. As chief exec you often feel it, it can be quite a lonely role to have quite a lonely position And so often when you are trying to convince your board, you're trying to convince your staff and your management team that we should do this, then stepping into that space, the last thing then you need is to be left standing there on your own without answers, without support, without that 
moving forward. And that was what was, again, so fantastic about CAF. They never, ever left you standing on your own. Thank you. That was a brilliant answer. I thought it was so interesting, Ashling, that you were saying you sort of encountered some resistance from different organisations to this idea. And I, I, in some ways I can understand it because, again, I think it is not necessarily in the nature of, of people who work for charity to prioritize themselves prioritize their resilience when there is work to be done on the front line and it's a very common tale in the sector that people will go to their absolute limits to make sure that the communities that they support are getting as much care as they can even to the detriment of their own well-being and their own health but I wonder what you think around these kind of principles of resilience, is this a story that should be applying across charities of all sizes, small, medium, large? There must be something here, even though obviously the fund was targeted specifically at those small and medium-sized organisations. I think, you know, back to your point about to the detriment of themselves and maybe to the detriment of their organisation, I think we had a lot of honest feedback um, as a result of this programme that a lot of organisations said if that resilience support grant had not been ring-fenced, it would have been diverted to the front line. I think, you know, they were going through such a difficult period that it's very easy, and, and I'm not blaming anyone for that, to, to really think in a, in a short, more short-term manner, this is where the needs are, this is where the money needs to go, whereas I think our position is really to remind them that think about the long term and how you can invest in your sustainability because then you will be able to help more people and in the long run a lot of what we're doing at the moment in terms of our resilience program is probably in that sweet spot of, of smaller and medium-sized charities because if a charity is too small often they often don't really have the staff to be able to focus on this but i think it is that range of charities in which they probably don't have as much support or as much access to that external support as perhaps some of the really large organizations that that have very efficient processes already in place that, that you know, that are much more sort of, um, I suppose, generally more corporate perhaps in, in the way that they work. So I think there is that kind of middle strata of organisations that perhaps are a bit neglected in that. And, and that's really where we think that we can make the difference. I do think a lot of the characteristics of resilience and what they should be focusing on apply to, to any charity. But I think it's about finding where, where we can really see drive some change and that's that's really what we've been focusing. This programme closed last year, it ran for three years. Clearly resilience is still as great a need as ever. Are there any plans to relaunch the fund or reopen a, a similar programme? We actually already are running a similar programme on it's on a smaller scale and you know a lot of that is just down to the to the funding that we receive to run these sort of programmes. We're currently running the Keystone Fund which is focused on social equity. And again, it is, it's a similar type of package of, um, of support in, in terms of unrestricted funding uh, accompanied by that kind of non-financial uh, resilience support, utilising the, the roadmap and the resilience framework to really help those organisations move forward. Because resilience is such a big focus for CAF, we, you know, there will be other programmes that have that resilience at the heart of, of what we're doing. And, and we're really hoping to you know, push that with a lot of the clients that we work with. Great to know. Well, Ashling Cashmore from CAF and Mandy Rollins from Disability Solutions West Midlands. It's been a joy to have you both on. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. 
We hope you enjoyed that discussion with Ashling and Mandy. And now we move on to Charity Changed My Life, in which we bring you the stories of people whose lives have been transformed for the better thanks to the work of charities. This week we hear from 29-year-old Kevin, who received some much-needed respite from the day-to-day realities of living with a rare condition thanks to the Willow Foundation. I have a neurobeshit disease. Um, so there's around 2,000 people in the UK with Beshit's disease. It's quite a hard disease, it's very misunderstood. There's a lot of treatments that I go through, um, a lot of tablets, uh, fusions. It is quite rough, but um, you have positive days and you have bad days just like everyone else. The way I got in with the Willow Foundation was my information was passed on from a specialist hospital in London to Claire Hussey. And at first it just started off with like a general conversation and she's like, oh, we've got a little surprise for you. Um, we're going to send you a treat box. And I was a bit taken back because I was thinking, normally it's the other way around. Like everyone wants something from me, like a test or need me to go to a hospital or something. It was a really nice experience to get. And then um, I spoke to her to say thank you. She was like, oh, we've got one more gift for you. She said, we're going to send you away down to Cornwall for a week. I still can't really believe that Like I got sent to Cornwall for free and I didn't need to pay anything. It was like, you need to go have a good time. You've been through a lot. So uh, me, my partner and our dog Charlie went down. Uh, we stayed in a log cabin with like a hot tub of barbecue. It was really nice, like in the woods as well, so that you can see like, all the birds, the squirrels, wildlife. There was this little bakery and um, their donuts were literally at the size of my head. And that's the only thing I tell everyone, their donuts were massive. Like, and it is the best thing ever. The trip down to Cornwall was more for a relaxation break. So like, not saying I don't relax at home, but everything is all about my disease. Whereas this was like, don't worry about anything, just go, relax, enjoy just the moments that I couldn't give myself, my partner. So it was a really like, blissful moment sort of thing. That was Kevin Massia telling us about how the Willow Foundation changed his life for the better. And if you would like your organisation to be featured in Charity Change My Life, we'd love to hear from you. All it takes is a short voice message from someone who has benefited from your services. You can find details of how to get in touch in the show notes to this episode. That's it for this week. Next week, we'll be talking about the well-being of staff who manage charity social media accounts as some platforms become ever more like a cesspit. Plus, we'll be discussing the findings of a new report into UK philanthropy with one of its authors. But for now, thanks to our guests, Ashling and Mandy, and our producer, Nav Pal. 